37. For thus saith the High, and the Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the High and the Holy Place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. Just last week we brought an introduction to this verse and the spiritual backdrop, if you like, the spiritual climate uh, that was uh, 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 what was happening at that time in Israel. Um, And we just pulled back into the previous verses, the previous chapters, and we've seen a great decline of spiritual apostasy that was uh, taking place in Israel at this particular time. We see, first of all, there was a failure in the leadership across Israel as they were interested in the things of God, basically for their own means. And uh, the Lord called them greedy dogs. And there were shepherds that could not understand and they were looking out for their own way. And then we've seen the effects as the shepherds and the leaders of Israel, as they fell into apostasy, they led the whole of Israel astray. And this was just prior to the the judgment of God that God would bring upon Israel, that they would be led in the captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And we see as the people began to, uh, in its spiritual idolatry and spiritual adultery, there was there was the, the spiritual fornication as they began to serve other gods. They began to turn away from the one, the true and the only God. And they began to go after other gods and raise up idols. And they, they were just disinterested in the things of God. And they, beca- they began to become weary in the greatness of their way. And they said, this is what was being said in Israel. I believe this is what is being said in the streets across the United Kingdom and Ireland today. There is no hope. There is no hope. But even in saying that, they weren't willing to turn back to God. They just said, there is no hope. We're weary with the way that we're living and how we're going. But even in all of that, they weren't interested. They weren't grieved about their sin. And they just wanted to carry on in the way that they lived. And the Bible tells us that really what was happening in Israel, it was sinking deeper and deeper. Actually, it came to the point that it actually sank into a place that the Bible says it was like hell. And we looked at that, the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. That is what is happening at this time. In our nation, it is sinking deeper and deeper into darkness and sin and witchcraft and and spiritual, uh, every type of manifestation of spiritual wickedness. As the Apostle John writes so clearly, it is an antichrist spirit that is on the rise. In every form that we look around us in every if you watch what is happening on the on the front, there might be a particular agenda that, that is put at the forefront of something, but the spirit that's behind all of this um, is an antichrist spirit. And that is what's happening in our day. The, the whole, uh, have you heard of the Extinction Rebellion? That's the people that are blocking the roads in London and they're, they believe they, the world is going to end in 12 years. But if you go behind these fronts that the climate change people it is absolutely demonic. They paraded themselves at the Glastonbury Festival. If you get a photograph and see a photograph, 
as they're all dressed in red and they paint their faces white and they begin to make different ceremonies and ancient spiritual sacrifices. This whole thing is demonic. So whatever the avenue that it's rising, whether it's a media, climate change, human rights, the, the whole uh, agenda that is being driven at us today concerning gender and everything else, there is a spirit that is at work. It's an antichrist spirit. And this is a, we were drawing the parallels of, in, a, in the book of Isaiah here, leading up to this wonderful verse, we were drawing the parallels spiritually of where things were, were moving towards the spiritual backdrop. And then the prophet, the, the prophet speaks just in this verse, verse 15, God in the middle of all of this says, for thus saith, he introduces to us a revelation of who God really is. In the midst of all the, 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 the sin and all the apostasy and all the works of darkness and all the antichrist spirit that's at work, then the, the, the prophet says, This thus saith the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I want to declare to you who God really is. I want to bring to you today someone is going to speak. There's a word of the Lord and his name is the high and lofty one. He inhabiteth eternity. His name is holy. It seems so far from where everything was, was, was at. The darkness, the sin, the, 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 the deprivation of man, the wickedness of man. And the prophet begins to declare, I want you to listen to the words of the Almighty One. There is a God. There is an Almighty God. And he is high and he is lofty and he inhabiteth eternity and his name is holy. A revelation really of who God is. Could I probably start by saying this morning, this is what is required again in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the world are dead and trespasses and sin and they're blind. They cannot see. But what a tragedy it is when God's people who are called by his name begin to, to develop spiritual cataracts that they cannot no longer see the reality of who God really is. And when that begins to happen in the church of Jesus Christ, it happens through compromise and sin comes in and then blindness becomes a reality in, in the vision of the church and they lose sight of who this almighty God is. And that's the tragedy of our day. A revelation of an almighty God. A reverence for who he is. Because what happens, brothers and sisters, there was once a time that even society reverenced God. They reverenced who he There was a reverence for him. That's moved from having a reverence for him. And it's moved then to an apathy, we're indifferent to the things of God. But now it's moved from an apathy to an open hostility against God. That's where we've come to. It's no longer you do your thing, we do our thing. Now it's hostility against the people of God and God himself. And so we see here a revelation of God that comes, and you'll find in the Bible throughout the great testimonies of of Scripture throughout the old, people grasp a revelation of who God is, how great He is, the Almighty God. And often this happened when God would intervene 
in their circumstances, God would come down to where they were and would reveal himself as the almighty God. And suddenly people begin to just suddenly grasp the magnitude of who God is. They begin to see him for who he is. And they begin to rejoice in this awesome God and who he is and to know him. We look at it in Moses' day in Exodus chapter 15. If you turn over, we'll just take a few examples this morning. But we see in these examples and we see the reality of when people grasp a revelation of God. And I believe this is crucial for us in the hour in which we are living in to have a revelation of who God is. In Exodus chapter 15, we know the, the story so well, but the people of God had just experienced a mighty deliverance by the hand of God out of Egypt. God had delivered his people and God had brought them out of their bondage and broke the chains and the hand of Pharaoh that was upon them. And they come to the Red Sea and God brings them through the Red Sea. See all these revelations? These are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you see these great stories of God's great deliverance power, we'll look a wee bit more at it tonight, but when you see these revelations, this whole book is about Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. And when you see the revelation of Christ in these scriptures, it is a wonderful thing to know that everything of what we're reading is all about the glory and the honor and the person of Jesus. When they're brought through that great deliverance that day and the Red Sea closes upon their enemies. Then what happened is in Exodus 15 and verse 1, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Verse 11 says this, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, and glorious in holiness, fearful in praises and doing wonders. There is no one like our God. They get a revelation of who he is when he moves in his supernatural almighty power. They put him in his rightful place in their hearts and the vision of an almighty God. God's done great things for us. God has done great things for us. We see in the day of Hannah, when she was praying for her womb to become fruitful and for that child in 1 Samuel and chapter 2 and verse 1. And we, we've looked at the story before, the adversary and, 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 the, and the slander and the pressing and the pressure and the spiritual torment that this woman had to experience. But then God moves. Then God breaks in. Then God shows his almighty power. And God gives this woman a birth, a son, a Samuel. And she says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart's rejoicing in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Verse 2, what does she say? 
There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. There was a revelation of who he really is, and their hearts are bursting with a song of deliverance that God gives them, and a revelation. He is the Almighty God, and there's no one like him. No one like him. We lose vision of the Almighty. When we begin to lose vision of a revelation of God as holy, almighty, infinite, all-powerful, there is nobody like him. There's no one besides him. He is a thrice holy God. But when we begin to lose vision and we begin to look at all around us, we begin to sink into the mire and we lose the song of the Lord. We lose the song of the Lord. David after the great victories that God had given him. In 2 Samuel chapter 22. And how the enemy would press in against him. And how the enemy would rise up against him. Even Saul, his great opponent, that would seek to destroy his life. But in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, it says this. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song. In the day that the Lord had delivered him. Out of the hand of all his enemies. Thank God he's a great deliverer. He delivers us from all our enemies. He defeated the power of Satan. He is a great redeemer. And he's a great deliverer. And he defeated him out of all the hand. All his enemies. And out of the hand of Saul. A type of Satan himself. Good to be delivered. Good to be set free this morning. And he said... This is the song of David in that hour because he gets a revelation of who God really is. He said, the Lord's my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock and him and him will I trust. He is my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. He's my high tower. He's my refuge. He's my savior. He saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. These are all a revelation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's brought us out of Egypt. He's delivered us and brought us through the Red Sea. Thank God this morning we've been birthed into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. He's delivered us from our enemies. He's broke the hand of Satan on our lives. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord and there's no one like him. But then we lose sight, don't we? Church, when we lose sight, in verse 32, you'll see something in that same chapter, but you'll see something in our readings today. He said, for who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our? In other words, everyone is saying, there's a common theme in this. They're saying, do you know something? There's nobody like the God that we serve. There's none beside him. There's none whole. There's no one has even come. Close to comparing to our God. They get a revelation of the almighty God. And so often, and it is true, because in the last days, one of the things that happens in the church of Jesus Christ is that they lose the ability to see. They lose vision. They lose the clarity of sight. What a precious thing sight is. What a precious thing to be able to see. I'm talking spiritually. If you're not saved this morning, you're in darkness and you're blind. You cannot see. But when Jesus comes into your heart by faith and you're born of the Spirit of God, I once was blind, but now I see. 
and spiritual sight. And so we see in all of these these accounts that we're reading, it's a revelation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who God really is. And this is Christ in Psalm chapter 40. In Psalm chapter 40, you see, this is, this is really where it comes to, friends. In Psalm chapter 40, the psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Would you say amen if you're out of a horrible pit this morning? Did he get you out of a horrible pit? Did he get you out of a horrible, slimy, sin-filled pit this morning? Out of the marty clay. And he set my feet upon a... And that rock is Jesus. He's established my goings. And then it says this. Here's the revelation. And he has put a song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And many shall see it and fear, and many shall trust in the Lord. Praise God this morning that when he lifted us out of the Mary clay, the greatest miracle we read of seas opening, Pharaoh and his army being destroyed, a womb being made alive and fruitful by the power of God, All the enemies of David, the Philistines, were subdued before him and the hand of Saul was broken. But the greatest miracle that's ever happened in a life is when a man or a woman or a young child is born again of the Spirit of the living God. And that's a song that he puts in our hearts. And friends, when you lose your song, what you've lost is a revelation of who Jesus is. That's what happens. That's why we change the songs. Listen, that's why we change the songs. This is a revelation. What's happened in the church today isn't because we have got modern and contemporary music. It's because the church has lost a revelation of who God really is. So we'll sing songs about ourselves and not songs about Him. When the church get the revelation of who this great God is, that he is to be reverenced. He is to be rever- He is a holy God. He is to be reverenced. We are to acknowledge him as the Almighty One. We are to see him for who he really is. And brothers and sisters, when we begin to lose sight of the Almighty, when we begin to have spiritual cataracts that cause us not to see as clear, then we begin to lose the song that Jesus has given us. And that's a song of the redeemed. And that's a song of victory. Brothers and sisters, this morning, he's put a song in my heart. I tell you, friends, he put a song there and not the devil can take it away. He is the great deliverer. He is the almighty God. But we are living in a day where the pressure and the pressing and the influence is to get our eyes off him. It was the disciples that were in the ship that was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And the disciples said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? And then a man called Jesus stood up in a boat, and he rebuked the winds, and he rebuked the waves, and suddenly they ceased. And the disciples said, What manner of man is this? 
What manner of man is this? A reverence for the Almighty God. Who is like him? There is none beside him. When the church lose their sight of the high and the lofty one, the one that inhabiteth eternity, the one whose name is holy, the one who has lifted them out of the mary clay and put a song into their hearts, when they begin to lose sight of him, brothers and sisters, when they begin to lose a reverence for the almighty God, then quickly the darkness begins to invade. Then quickly sight begins to go. Then quickly sin is tolerated where you would never have tolerated some things in your life. When you were first saved, you would never have tolerated certain sins. But as the blindness comes and the darkness presses in and we begin to lose the vision that God has given us, do you know what happens? We begin to slip. We begin to backslide. We begin to grow cold and hard. We might still come to church three times a week. We still might read our Bible. But we've lost something of the wonder and the majesty and the glory of this great Christ Jesus We have lost something of the wonder of who he is. There is no one like Jesus. There is none beside him. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? Who can lift the broken and the bruised? Who can come and heal those that are pressed down and crushed by the powers of darkness? Who can lift us out of horrible pits and clothe us in righteousness? Who can put a song in our heart and put a spring in our step? Who can lift us and bring peace to a troubled heart? Who can bring peace to a mind that's tormented by the powers of darkness? Who can open the blinded eye and unstop the deaf and ear? Who makes the lame to rise up and dance in the spirit of the living God? Who raises the dead to life again? Oh, what a Savior is Jesus. And then we begin to see the darkness come. Because it comes, doesn't it? Then we begin to lose something of the reality and the vision of this great and this almighty God. We're a bit too often like the servant of Elisha. We stand and surrounded by the enemies and the darkness has come in like a flood. And there's the young man looking at all the powers of darkness and the prophet of the Lord beside him. And then Elijah prays and what a prayer it is. Lord, I pray thee, just open his eyes this morning. What a prayer. Oh, if it was a prayer to be made this morning, Lord, Lord, open our eyes this morning. And then he suddenly seen, brothers and sisters, he opened his eyes and he saw, and the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire round about Elisha. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him. You might be in the battle. You might be in the war. You might be up against it. You might be facing the headwinds. Brothers and sisters, if God's for you, who can be against you? His name is holy. His name is holy. What manner of man is this? We have been taught by the Lord to pray this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. There's only one name in this world today that they'll use as a curse word. And that's the name of Jesus. You've never heard them take the name of Muhammad or Hare Krishna 
or Buddha in vain. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever, ever heard anyone say that? But the name of Jesus. His name is holy. There's no other name but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what shocks me? When I met our, our friend across the road before he went back to Turkey, he could hardly speak English, but nearly one of the first things he could do was take the name of the Lord in vain. That's nearly one of the first things that he learned in English was to take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. Isn't that a sad reality? The name of the Lord. Mary sang this song. For he that is mighty has done to me great things. Can you say that this morning? Has the Lord done great things for you? Come on, has the Lord done great things? Has the Lord done great things for you, brothers and sisters? You know, when we get the chance, someone share a testimony this morning. Listen, we, can, we get beyond the double doors. There's no problem with most of people in here chatting. But then these, this side of the doors, this is where we should really do our talking. Has the Lord done great things for you? Praise the Lord. Great things he's done. And then she said this, and holy, holy, holy is his name. You see, he's a holy God. And the power of revival really comes in the life of Christ. One of the revelations that God gave me this morning. He's holy. His presence is holy. It's the purifying of the bride. In the year that King Uzziah died, a revelation came to the prophet Isaiah. And he said, I also saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. He was holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. The angels cried that he was in and seen and revealed in his place and glory as the holy God. He's so beyond our comprehension. He's so high. There is no one like him. But the wonder of everything is this. That God Almighty, Jesus Christ, stooped so low. For you and for me. Is it not the wonder. That he came down to my horrible pit. To lift me out. Is that not the wonder that Jesus. In Philippians 2 and 8 says. And being found in the fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Is that not the wonder of all of this. The high and the lofty one. You see, when it says that he inhabiteth eternity, that simply means this, that see all of our galaxies, see all of this universe as far as we can go with our great telescopes and sending our little machines to try and line, land on Mars and see all the wonder of all of that. Everything of that is contained within God. It's in him. He is the beginning and the end. He is the almighty God. They're saying that it's, it's, it's millions and millions and billions and billions of stars and galaxies beyond our comprehension. And yet in all of that, this God contains that within himself. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Jesus, the eternal son, no beginning and no end, took upon flesh and humbled himself and became obedient unto death. We put him on a cross. He willingly died for us. 
the creator of heaven and earth, stooped low that we would be lifted up out of the merry clay. It's the wonder of this. And that is why the apostle writes that God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. There's no one like Jesus. Now when the church begins to lose something of the revelation of this God, the tragedy is this, brothers and sisters, the tragedy is this. When we lose the revelation of him, then we lose the song that the Bible says that they will see it. They will see it and they will trust because they see. They begin to see. The world see the reality. It's not true. The world aren't stupid. They know what's real and what's not real. But when the church begins to be invaded and have a lack of revelation of who this God is, do you know what's happened in our day? Do you know what's happened? The church has become high and lofty. Now the Bible says it's only God who's the high and lofty one. But what happens? Have you ever heard the term the high church? High church. We had neighbors years ago in Best Hill and they belonged to the high church. This is, this is a term that's used amongst most of the traditional church, certainly the Anglican circles. I'm not saying anything against the Anglicans. I'm just saying this is a term that's used that their, their emphasis is on the ritual, the robes, the, the, the form, the, the whole outworking of all of that. This is the high church. Do you know, sadly, brothers and sisters, the church has been so high and lofty today that we, do you know where the miracles happen? In the low place. But we become so high and lofty. We become so religious, even in the low church, which is, we are supposed to be the low church in their terms. Right? We're the low church. But it's more than just a term or a name. When Jesus came into the world, he sat with sinners. He went down to the drunkard. He went to the prostitute. He went to those, not to partake in their sin, but to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the poor heard him gladly. And the miracles happened. But when the church becomes high and lofty, oh, we're, we're the church now. We're, we're the people. And then we lose the life and the power of a risen Christ because God's not going to move through the high and the lofty, but he comes way down to the low place. The miracles happen in the gutter. Don't they? Why? Because he saves people like me out of gutters. He saves people like Stephen Nixon out of gutters. Listen, if you're saved, even if you were saved at four, you were saved out of the gutter. The gutter of sin. And so the church has become the high and lofty place. But God's the high and lofty one. What does the Bible says? He will resist the and give grace to the low. And that's what happens. The church has become the high and lofty. Respectability has, has quenched. 
the power and the life of Christ to reach a broken world. Brothers and sisters, we need to break the walls down. I don't mean literally, but we need to break the walls down. We need to break the respectability that comes, that we're the high church. Listen, here's where the miracles happen. When people came, the lame and the broken and the maimed and the blind and the prostitute, those that caught in adultery and those that were broken and hurt and, and the tragedy of life and the sin and the powers of darkness. And what did they come to? They come to a man called Jesus because why? He went away down low. The high and lofty one came away down low. Then we get saved and we have a passion for the lost. We want to see souls saved. And then six months goes past. And then a year goes past. And then we start getting churchy. And then we become a wee bit high about ourselves. And then we get a wee bit lofty. And then, brothers and sisters, we lose the reality of the life and the power and the privilege it is to be saved and the mission and the commission that's been given to us to go beyond the four walls of a building and win people for Jesus. We don't have to have on the calendar an outreach for it to be an outreach church. Isn't that right? It's the heart, it's the very person of Christ that will go into the highways and the byways. If someone says, I feel burdened to go into the streets of Belfast, you don't need to wait. Just go into Belfast and preach the gospel. I feel burdened for a town called Cassowellan. I feel burdened for a town called Downpatrick. I have a burden for... Friends, brothers and sisters, I know there's a high church mentality that you have to sort of ask if you're allowed to go. But let me tell you something. I've already asked and he's already told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we become so high and so lofty. We become so religious. And then we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. But if there's not a humility of heart, if there's not a contrition, if there's not a place where we come and we fall on our knees and say, God, we need your life and your power. We can pray, and O'Brien would be the same. We can pray for revival for a hundred years every day, for ten hours a day. But unless we heard even a few weeks ago in the revival prayer, unless we're willing to humble ourselves. Can I ask you a question? And I'm going to leave you the answer as I'm closing this morning. How do you humble yourself? How do you humble yourself? I know a lot of people think he should be humbled or she should be humbled or your man at the back, I hope he's hearing this. I'm going to ask you, because I'm asking me, how do you humble yourself? I found this out, and Nikki's probably tired of me asking this question. How do you humble yourself? But how do you humble yourself? Because I can be so convinced that I've humbled myself, but I'm not really humble. How do you humble yourself? If my people here called by my name, what does it say? Shall humble themselves. I can be convinced that I'm humble. But when I ask God, am I humble? What I'm convinced of may suddenly disappear and realize that I'm not as humble as what I think I am. 
Let me ask you a question. How do you humble yourself? Do you, do, you want me to, do you want me to say what I believe? I believe that you can't without the grace and without the ability of God. Do you want to know why? Because I can think that I'm humble, but it's only God knows your heart. And I can do humble things, but that doesn't mean I'm humble. And I can have a humble look on my face, but that doesn't mean I'm humble either. But are we willing to say, God, we know that even in ourselves, we can't do it. We can't humble ourselves the way you would want us. Because, friends, if we're believing for revival, and we are, if revivals always come, we're just reading about it, to revive the spirit of the humble and the contrite. That's where revival power comes. I want revival. I tell you, I need revival. But here's the place it comes. The broken and the crushed. Lord, would you humble us? Someone nearly fell out with me many, many, many years ago. He said that they would never pray that prayer, God humble me. Would you pray that prayer? Would you pray that prayer? Lord, would you humble me? Here's the good news. Revival comes to the humble. That's where revival comes. Brothers and sisters, we need revival. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need a revelation of this God. We need to see him high and lifted up. When we do, like Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone. I am in a place amongst the people of unclean lips. Lord, would you touch my lips? Because we need revival. The high and the lofty one will come low. Brothers and sisters, I believe the church needs to come low. We need to come low. We need to come down. You ever heard the term, get off your high horse? We all need to get off our high horse. We need to come away low. We need to say, God, this is serious. There's a world, there's loved ones, there's people around us are going to hell as fast as they can. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. Lord, would you, by your grace, enable us to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to turn from our wicked way. That's God's people he's talking about. It's not the world. God says, I'm going to hear. I'm going to come. I'm going to heal. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need God. We need God. Help us this morning, Lord, to humble ourselves, whatever that takes, and give us a revelation of really this wonderful Jesus. Lord, help us to come down, that you might move through us to reach a world that is broken. Father, this morning we pray, Lord, that you would enable us by your spirit, by your power, to bow the knee afresh this morning, to allow you to do the work that only you can do by your spirit, to enable us, to enable us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we're not interested in what men think or what men say. Lord, we're not interested in religious motions and going through religious activity. Lord, we want the reality of your presence and your power 
to move through this land again. So God, this morning, as we spend just a few moments, we ask you, Lord, by your grace, enable us to truly humble ourselves before you. Lord, you know our hearts. You know we're prone to wonder. You know that, Lord, at times we're indifferent, we're cold. Lord, you know and have seen our tears. You know our battles, our, our weaknesses. Lord, you see our, our sins, our habitual sins, our, our failings. Lord, you see everything. Yet you're willing to come so low and you're willing to come to us and you're willing to meet with us when we just humble ourselves and say, God, we need you. Lord, this morning we do honestly need you. We really do, Lord. We really need you, Lord. Would you help us this morning? Would you help us this morning to see you fresh? And would you touch your people again? 